Hi, you're listening to Go Dutch, eh? A podcast from the Embassy of the Kingdom of the Netherlands to Canada. Our countries have a special relationship built from common values and a history that is unlike any other. This series features extraordinary Dutch and Canadians who give their views on how our two countries can use this shared purpose to build a better world together. Hi, my name is Henk Snoeken and I'm Consul General for the Kingdom of the Netherlands in Vancouver. Thank you for tuning in today. The seventh episode in this series will focus on a topic that the Netherlands and its people are very well acquainted with, water. It is a sentimental journey for me too. A few years ago, I was Director for Urban and Rural Planning of the Netherlands. And what I learned was that trying to live in peace with water is the alpha and omega of planning in the Netherlands. We will talk today about the role of water in our society and the lessons learned from our battle against water. We will also have to look uh, at some of the mistakes we made, lessons learned and of course discuss what we can learn from the experiences in Canada. For those of you who have visited the Netherlands, you will have noticed water is everywhere from the canals, rivers, lakes, to the North Sea, to the 700 millimeters of rain that the country receives on average each year. Not only that, about 26% of the Netherlands is situated below sea level, and 50% of the country lies just one meter above sea level. It's no wonder that Netherlands literally means lower lands. With all of this water around, how do the Dutch manage to keep their feet dry? The answer is a combination of innovative infrastructure, strong integration of expertise across disciplines, and broad citizen awareness, and support for major investments in water management projects that will also benefit future generations. I'm sure this will be a recurring topic in the conversation of today. That said, despite centuries of developing more resilient and innovative major works, we in the Netherlands continue to race against the clock to figure out how to keep our heads above water and overcome the threat posed by the acceleration of climate change and rapidly rising sea levels. While the Dutch began building a sophisticated network of dikes throughout the country as early as the 11th century, it was a particularly disastrous flood that claimed over 1,800 li- lives in 1953 and flooded 150,000 hectares, mainly in the province of Zeeland, that really incited the Dutch to renew their approach to water management. Since then, Dutch government, industry, knowledge institutes and other relevant partners have formed a strong and unified way of working together. The result has been a deep interconnection between the governance structures, the water tech companies and the water system knowledge networks. In the 21st century, this network and our relationship with water is still evolving. Leftovers of medicine and forever chemicals that don't break down in our water impact the water quality in our society. Climate change is causing longer lasting droughts, increased pressures on farming and higher risk of forest fires. Old solutions to water problems are no longer sufficient and we have to look for different solutions. These topics also play a role in Canada and make collaboration essential. Here in Canada, from coast to coast, people are by no means immune to the effects of water. Over the past 30 years, devastating floods have hit nearly all of the provinces on at least one occasion. The federal government and several of the provincial and municipal governments have signaled their keenness to develop urban planning solutions and make their cities and communities more resilient. And that leads me to the right moment to introduce my guests of today. Well, first of all, we have Mrs. Annemieke Nijhoff, who is Managing Director of Deltares, the Dutch Independent Institute for Applied Research in the field of water, subsurface and infrastructure. A trained chemical engineer, she has been working on technical and societal issues concerning the natural environment for 30 years and was, amongst others, Director General at the Dutch Ministry of Infrastructure and Water prior to joining Deltaris. We also have with us Mr. Jason van Bruggen, 
or if we would say in Dutch, Mr. Jason van Bruggen, a Canadian of Dutch descent and globally recognized photographer and filmmaker whose work has been displayed in exhibitions around the world. His latest work, Lowland, is a collection of images that he took while in the Netherlands, which examines the Dutch historical and cultural response to rising sea levels. It is currently a featured exhibition at Contact, the world's largest photo photography festival, and it will be on display at the Evergreen Brickworks in Toronto until October of this year. Annemieke and Jason, it's a real pleasure to have you both with us today. And uh, perhaps I can uh, uh, start uh, uh, just right away with my first question to uh, Annemieke. Uh, Annemieke, could you start us off by briefly explaining the reason for why Deltaris was founded back in 2008, what knowledge gaps needed to be filled and uh, what was the background of it? Yes, thank you so much for inviting me. And um, actually, it was it, for me, it, it was a great pleasure to be part of the decision-making for the foundation of Deltaris. But of course, uh, Deltaris already existed because it was a merger of existing Dutch uh, applied research institutes uh, that were uh, brought together, also filled with uh, high-level experts from government. And the background was the, actually two reasons. First, the awareness that uh, for a low-lying country like the Netherlands, it's of vital importance to continuously work on long-term uh, uh, research and, and questions on water management and subsurface management, uh, and also to have enough uh, deep insight in how the system works. The, so. Uh, we brought together uh, the high-level expertise we already had on the subsurface in the institutes with uh, river management, coastal engineering, and the uh, interrelation between the water system and infrastructure. And I think this is the cornerstone for uh, actually our, our emission statement, which is uh, enabling Delta Life. Thank you so much, Annemiek. It sounds really Dutch. Um, a merger, uh, bringing things together and go to uh, deep knowledge. I think it's uh, uh, what is also in the heart of the water uh, business corporation. And uh, thanks for that. Jason, uh, Jason, you as a descendant of Dutch immigrants, you're probably made well aware of the way in which water can shape a country. When you travel to the Netherlands in your youth and more recently to capture the images that are featured in the Lowland exhibit, what stuck out to you as unique in terms of the way in which the country and the Dutch people themselves deal with water in comparison to Canada and the Canadians? Yeah, it's an interesting question. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really pleased to be here and um, to be speaking with someone as esteemed as Anamika and on this topic, which I'm uh, you know, not an expert on. I'm a, I'm a lay scientist for sure, but I, I'm an observer and a witness. Um, so I'll, I'll share my opinions in a non-scientific way. but. You know, my father left Holland right after the uh, Vardes Nordramp in 1953, and on the heels of the Second World War, no education. Uh, in a way, in a manner of thinking, my father was forced to leave the country and seek opportunity elsewhere. So, uh, if you take that argument one step further, it's a bit tenuous, but that water event is perhaps the reason I am Canadian. Um, and I remember, even as a very young person, marveling at the level of tidiness and organization that was so visible from the air every time I landed in Schiphol or even the train as I was passing through the landscape. I mean, to my young eyes, you know, I, was a, I, I loved Lego and I loved sort of organizing structures. Uh, this looked like a gigantic Legoland, you know, particularly in comparison to Canada's very messy and sprawling urban development and water management. With the luxury of space here, uh, limits efficiencies and passes the requirement for intensive urban planning onto the next generation, which I think is happening at great peril. Um, I guess in some ways, you know, this exhibition was deeply informed by my parents' experience, but also by those early impressions of traveling over the Netherlands and seeing the way in which water was organized and managed and, uh, you know, how infrastructure was built around it at all phases. Um, and many of the photographs that I've uh, put into this exhibition represent those young impressions. Um, you know, and, and I, I think it's interesting that, that uh, both countries, or both of our countries, Canada and the Netherlands, are known for water and that Canada has the world's largest supply of fresh water. And the Netherlands, of course, is a uh, you know, world leader in hydro engineering and 
in managing water. Um, and I think there will come a time when, you know, the, the Dutch expertise will be required to manage the Canadian landscape. Thank you so much, Chef Jason. Uh, Holland has a leg of land, and uh, uh, you, as a Canadian, because of the water <laughs> problems in the Netherlands in 1953, it's an interesting uh, a statement. Annemieke, uh, um, I wanted to go back to 1953, and then, but then uh, immediately go over to the situation a few months ago. Uh, uh, most of the Dutch know about uh, what happened in 1953, big flood, uh, uh, lots of people killed, uh, uh, torn from their houses, but uh, a few months ago we had uh, this sudden flood in the southern part of the Netherlands, in Limburg, where a few um, uh, rivers uh, were flowing over. Uh, the same situation was in Belgium, just over the border, and in Germany. I suppose Deltares will have had a bit of a role, or perhaps a big role, in uh, in managing that uh, 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 sudden flood. Can you tell us something about uh, uh, what you did there as Deltares, and, and also about um, uh, the special role that Deltares as the National Water Institute can play in these actual situations? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, we're still very busy uh, with our uh, fact-finding mission as we speak to uh, to learn from this situation. Uh, but it's also relevant to mention that uh, between 53, which was of course our biggest rot of flat in recent history, we had in the end of the 90s, in 93 and 95, also floodings of the river. And this was uh, uh, giving birth to big programs, to uh, which I probably can elaborate a little bit on later in this uh, uh, podcast. But um, uh, I think um, what happened recently was uh, definitely an example of extreme weather events that we have been warned for for now for decades by the uh, scientists on climate change. Uh, our uh, role is to have a 24-7 uh, alert system uh, on weather conditions that might lead to uh, water problems. So the week, uh, a few days before this rainfall happens, we already saw that this might happen and it might put stress on the water system. And of course, within the boundary of uncertainty, you never know where the rain will fall and if the predictions on the, uh, on the extent uh, will come to uh, reality, but we started to activate our system, which means that people had to come back from holidays and to take actually measures in the field. Uh, so we have these levees which are replaceable in the uh, area of the River Meuse to enlarge the levees uh, for uh, extreme situations. And But we also uh, used our modeling tools to see how these uh, rainfall might uh, lead to uh, extreme situations on the rivers and uh, in the end also gave the advice to the responsible authorities to evacuate the hospital in Venlo because we thought it was a close call whether or not uh, this would be flooded. And these are, uh, of course, heavy decisions knowing that people are in hospital because they're uh, not okay and uh, that excavating them under those circumstances is also taking a risk. Uh, but of course, we were very lucky, actually, although there is lots of damage and we really have to pay uh, together a large bill uh, to, to help the people and the, and the entrepreneurs in this area to overcome the, the damage. Uh, we've seen across the border only 40, 50, 50 kilometers away how devastating uh, uh, extreme rainfall and, and uh, fast uh, occurrence of flooding because of the hills of the area over there uh, are and uh, well I think uh, this stresses again that we uh, that statistics that we use in water management which were valuable and based on the occurrence in the past no longer uh, are uh, reliable enough to be prepared for the future and I think you can also talk uh, about the extreme events you were facing in, in Canada and when we talk about Luton and no real meteorological models were able to predict the devastating events that you were dealing with. So I think 
this summer is a period of looking to China, looking around the globe to be really aware about the accelerating things that the IPCC report is, uh, is explaining to us. Thank you, Annemiko. Thanks also for, for uh, pointing at the IPCC report, which of course uh, uh, had a large impact in the news uh, uh, the last uh, week. So, Jason, uh, you from your perspective, I don't know if you were in the Netherlands or in Canada um, uh, during the, the flooding time a few weeks ago, but uh, certainly you, you it will have uh, been on your eyes and, and ears, I think. And uh, um, Annemiko was also pointing at, uh, at the situation in Canada where uh, a large drought was uh, uh, causing a lot of problems. And could you elaborate a little bit on that from your perspective? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, you know, this is taking, this is manifesting in different ways everywhere. Our, our issue thus far has been wildfires. Um, for sure, the last, you know, five to ten years it has gotten markedly worse. And I remember being trapped in um, Yellowknife a, a number of years ago in the Northwest Territories, the capital of the Northwest Territories. And you know, the fire was sort of encroaching from all sides. They had shut down all of the roads, all air traffic, and of course, it's on a lake, but there is no boat traffic that takes you anywhere. So, you know, myself and the people that live there permanently were, you know, not clear on how and when we were going to get out, or if even we were going to get out. Um, now, the, you know, wind pattern changed, and there was some precipitation, so that was mitigated, but I think these dramatic climate events are part of our collective future internationally, and, and you know, the... Uh, urgency around dealing with them is, you know, should be uh, visible and apparent and, and, and clear to everyone if it wasn't already before. Um, you know, and I think when it comes to our water management, I mean, uh, you know, we have the largest coastline in the world, so, um, you know, we will also have to find a way to live in harmony with water and a warming climate, uh, with rising water and a warming climate. It's going to be a very important priority for us going forward. And I think as Canadians, we still have an arrogance regarding our ability to control nature or bend it to our will. Um, you know, and, and my observation being elsewhere, not only in Holland, but in you know Pacific Islands and in the tropics and other coastal cities, is that, that water will have its way uh, with us. And, and you know, um, the problem is only growing in scale. And, and you know, the next 25 years are going to be um, very upsetting for coastal societies, mass migration. And we in Canada, um, again, tend to think that because we have boundless space and a lot of resources, um, this is a problem that will not affect us. But um, hopefully these last five years have illuminated for people that uh, you know it's coming for all of us and, and there's going to be nowhere to hide. Um, we have to act. I will just say one additional thing that, you know, that uh, for the, the Dutch government, which is a more centralized model, um, is probably in some ways uh, more capable of reacting to these things than our government, which is, um, you know, has a more decentralized sort of method of decision making, especially around resource control, and that's something we'll also have to address and perhaps uh, consider the model deployed in the Netherlands and elsewhere as, as examples or ways forward. Oh, thank you, thank you for that, and uh, we will certainly uh, uh, go a little bit uh, deeper into that uh, later in this podcast, uh, I think. But uh, um, first, perhaps. Uh, um, you were uh, uh, improvising uh, based upon a, a completely new situation uh, uh, the last weeks, but uh, certainly um, the effects of uh, uh, the flooding perhaps have not been as big as they would have been uh, if there wouldn't have been uh, large projects in the last years. Uh, a project that we are in the Netherlands are very proud of is uh, called Room for the River. Uh, and. Uh, um, uh, we have another problem, which is more in the field of uh, coastal defense, uh, the Delta problem. Could you um, perhaps provide us with some highlights regarding these projects and their impacts also on the situation of the last week? So uh, what what have, have we been doing in the last uh, uh, 20, 30 years in the Netherlands and, and how has it uh, led to a better situation? Yes, of course. Um well, I think uh, both programs have some uh, characteristics in similar uh, in, in uh, that, that are similar. Uh, the Room for the River project, however, started after these floodings in the 90s. So there was a collective awareness in the in society that we had to do something to prevent further fl uh, floodings, and uh, that uh, and by that time there was also a, a, 
a growing awareness that the engineering approach that we were relying upon, uh, 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 creating higher and more strong uh, levies, was not the way out for uh, river management. So actually the, the building with nature approach, using the natural conditions of the system and creating more space for the water and more room for the river to deal with extreme situations was the more or less the, the new paradigm shift. But this was of course a difficult uh, process because as uh, Jason already said, we have scarcity of space. So the continuous uh, competition between the room for uh, water storage and agricultural purposes and uh, housing and mobility and all the other things that are uh, 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 very relevant to, uh, to, to, uh, to see that this has to be in a more uh, um, uh, cooperative way brought together. So we were uh, starting the program by joint fact-finding, by sharing the basis for this program. Uh, we also used the creativity and uh, uh, the involvement of the people uh, that were living and working uh, around the rivers for a long time because they know more or less by nature and by history uh, the the system and uh, and how it works and uh, we created uh, a, on a national scale a program with 24 projects that were really embedded in the region that were designed in the region and that uh, in a collective way uh, created uh, more space for high-level floods. We uh, um, also declared water safety as an issue of natural, national solidarity, which means that we put the money together, all together, with in which uh, the, the people with the highest, the, the strongest shoulders should bear the strongest part of uh, the bill. So having enough money, uh, having a good process with the region and having a joint uh, a basis of urgency, understanding what is the task that needs to be done and a clear uh, time frame. Uh, uh, um, and on top of this, we said all the projects should not only deliver water safety, but also spatial quality. When we start working on our system, please let's make it uh, also uh, uh, create new natural reserves, new, uh, the, uh, also uh, improve the natural system. And I think this is why after uh, decades, because that is what, what it takes to realize a program, a nation-based program uh, that we are all very proud of and that this program has many, many, many fathers and mothers that have been involved, and that's actually uh, the the best uh, commercial for water management. If people are really proud of their involvement in uh, this uh, change, and I think the Delta program more or less uh, moved on, but without a disaster. And actually, the phrase for the Delta program was, "We know that we're that working in a Delta area is never finished." So giving climate change, we have to have a forward-looking uh, attitude and let's, uh, uh, in the sentence of the, the Vice Minister of Water Management in 2008, she said, I'm of the generation after the last flooding in 53, and my dream is that my kids can also say that they are post uh, uh, flooding 53. So let's see if we can manage to have the attention and willingness to work on water management without a disaster, just to prevent the disaster. And this is, I think, a great uh, attitude that we are, we are very proud of. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, um, prevention is what you're um, um, giving is, is what you're giving emphasis, but you also uh, um, said uh, money is uh, necessary, uh, uh, cooperation is one of the main uh, themes, and uh, it's also about a community uh, uh, that knows what is happening in their neighborhood. Uh, Jason, um, um, this, uh, let's say, community sense for water uh, that uh, uh, Dutch people uh, perhaps uh, have, 
uh, I'm not sure, sure I'm wondering if uh, um, um, this same kind of awareness is also there in Canada when you talk about uh, water um, um, second thing is uh, um, cooperation uh, governments working together uh, uh, at all different levels in the Delta program local uh, government uh, central government and uh, um, also uh, um, trying to um, uh, trying to uh, uh, have uh, the communities uh, be part of the process. Is that something that we also see in Canada? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the short answer is is no, you know, because, I mean, I think it's human nature anywhere, Canada or you name it. Um, you know, as a species, we're great at ignoring mounting evidence, you know, we're, and plowing forward with sort of unfounded optimism. And I, I admire that to some extent. Um, and there are times and situations in which that is of great benefit, but um, you know, here is one case where paying closer attention earlier could really help. Um, and that's true of the entire climate crisis, and I think that is true of you know, a collective group of people as well as a sort of collection of government structures that, that are meant to work together to solve these large problems. Um, the, you know, any, anyone paying attention to the scientific forecast, particularly about Arctic ice, mountain sea level rise, like the evidence is clear and unequivocal at this point. Last week it uh, rained at the summit of Greenland, first time ever in recorded history. Um, you know, while the climate denial movement is dwindling and becoming intellectually and politically irrelevant, it is still a factor here. Um, people are very uh, reluctant to sort of give up individual benefits um, and subsume those to collective, you know, rights and, and obligations. And that's uh, certainly, I think, a phenomenon where in, in Europe, um, you know, where societies are, are more sort of um, socially focused, that uh, they're much further ahead than we are in North America at acting collectively. Um, you know, although I will say that we have historically been very good at responding to crisis, and, uh, but my hope is that um, we're able to respond to this before it's a, you know, crisis that is uh, unpreventable, because at that point it will be too late. Um, so we need to sort of be more proactive, we need to come together earlier to address these problems. Okay. Okay, thank you for that, uh, Jason. We will talk a little bit about uh, the National Center for uh, the National Water Agency in Canada, perhaps later on. And it could be a, a challenge for them to work on this. But uh, let us now go to uh, um, uh, the cities, the Delta cities. Uh, uh, the Netherlands uh, uh, is, of course, a little bit more densely populated than uh, Canada. I think uh, a little bit more is, is not the, the right word uh, uh, when you look at it in general. Uh, uh, Canada is uh, 412 times less uh, dense than the Netherlands, but uh, certainly we have some areas where um, uh, uh, water challenges and, and, and urban environments are coming together. Uh, for example, uh, uh, the city of Vancouver is a delta city like uh, uh, lots of other cities where we have uh, um, room uh, where there's uh, not enough space, where water is coming together with the urban environment and I think Toronto also has uh, challenges in this uh, field. Um, um, Anamika, could you tell us a little bit about uh, how uh, Deltares works cohesively with uh, uh, um, uh, looks, uh, working on, on the urban environment uh, in, in water management? and uh, how you are working together with central government, companies and municipalities in addressing these uh, uh, changes. And would you see areas that would be interesting for uh, cooperation between the Netherlands and uh, Canada in this respect? Oh, yes, to start with the, la that the la latter part of your question, yes, oh, sh sure. And uh, we're, uh, we're lucky to already have cooperation with uh, with cities and areas in Canada because this is of, uh, of mutual benefit. It's not that we come in and bring in the knowledge that's relevant for Canada. No, we're, for us this is also a living laboratory where we can learn from uh, circumstances that probably are not or not yet the case in the Netherlands and vice versa. Uh, when it comes to uh, resilient cities, I think uh, the, the, the layout of the cities in the Netherlands and uh, in Canada also might differ with the, we have, although we are densely populated, our cities are sometimes still uh, green with lot, uh, uh, not a very high uh, volume of uh, um, high buildings in which heat stress might occur in a more severe way. 
So I think we could really uh, team up to learn how to deal with these extreme conditions. Uh, also with uh, uh, subservers, uh, mobility systems that might be at risk when there are uh, uh, extreme uh, uh, rainfall events. And we see that the critical infrastructures are uh, uh, very important. And uh, what we introduced a couple of years ago is the obligation for every municipality to have a stress test uh, when it comes to their uh, resilience uh, towards climate change. So we uh, invite municipalities and they have to report on that. Uh, what happens if it becomes very hot? What happens if this stays uh, there for two weeks? Uh, if they are prepared from the healthcare perspective on that situation, but also uh, the other way around, extreme cold periods of cold in which you have much more experience than we have, and also with the with the droughts and with the, with the uh, extreme rainfalls, and it also we create new ways of uh, dealing with these uh, extreme events. And I think we could just uh, exchange all the solutions and experiments and pilots and whatever we have been developing in Amsterdam and Rotterdam, but also in Zwolle and in Eindhoven. And because starting thinking from a stress test perspective also creates lots of creativity, which improves not only the resilience towards climate change for people, but in the end also for biodiversity and for livable cities. So there is really uh, something to gain. And I think uh, it's, it's great to work uh, in different uh, uh, urban environments to, and to exchange the, 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 the insights and creative solutions that come from this way of thinking. So that's at least one one area that we really would like to uh, to team up with uh, with Canada, and I also think uh, from a totally different perspective, uh, you have an an asset which is called lakes. We also have a lake, but we have only one lake, a very big lake, a sweet uh, 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 and um, a freshwater lake. And I think for us it's very interesting to team up with the, uh, the International Institute of Sustainable Development in Winnipeg, uh, which have this, this field laboratory uh, uh, the experimental in the experimental lake area, where we can really have experiments on a scale that, it, that aren't possible to do in, uh, in the Netherlands. So I see uh, plenty of opportunities to, uh, to work together and to, to join forces when it comes to applied research, research for the benefit of mankind. Thanks, Annemieke. Very interesting. Jason, can I ask you for a short reaction on that? Perhaps uh, you're not an, <laughs> a research expert, but uh, you know the lakes uh, as nobody else here uh, uh, on this podcast, I think, and you know the Canadian situation. Um, could you give an advice uh, uh, to uh, Deltaris, uh, uh, so to say, about uh, uh, where the cooperation would, uh, could be found uh, uh, from your perspective uh, uh, in a good way? Yeah. I don't know that I'm qualified to do so, but I, I do appreciate the insight. And, and I, I actually wasn't even aware about the Institute um, of Water Management in, in Winnipeg, but uh, I will look it up as soon as I'm off this call. That's very interesting. <laughs> uh, I can only speak about my own, my own very personal unscientific experience, which is that, you know, I spent my summer sort of canoe tripping on these lakes and swimming in them. And um, it's, it's one of the reasons I sort of, you know, chose to live in Canada is that being surrounded by fresh water was always very compelling to me and um, it's such a you know wonderful recreational and sort of it's of enormous physical benefit um, you know I will point out our, our sort of long history of cooperation as, as two countries I'm, I'm very proud to be a citizen of both countries that, that you know both Holland and, and Canada and um, you know this sort of was founded in war and conflict and immigration and culture and you know even a royal birth i mean our, our countries are very closely bonded together and uh i do see um, a long history of cooperation across so many fronts and i do hope that, that continues on the um the water management front because uh um i suspect we'll need your help more than you'll need ours but uh you know we'll see uh we'll see how the cookie crumbles yeah yeah We'll see how the cookie crumbles. That is a, is a fine uh, uh, um, answer to the question. Uh, um, uh, Annemieke, uh, 
going a little bit further on, on this theme of uh, cooperation uh, uh, with uh, Canada, um, Delta is a national water institute in the Netherlands. Uh, uh, it, as you told before, it has been uh, uh, it is a merger of different uh, institutes, and uh, 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 well, it's now the uh, national uh, water institute. Uh, um, and this is a hypothetical question, but uh, given your experience with Deltares, if Canada were to establish a national water institute similar to Deltares, what advice would you give to the Canadians uh, for the development of such an institute at this moment? Yeah, that's a very interesting and uh, uh, question, and I feel a bit humbled to to give an advice to this uh, uh, beautiful country, and which is also very high level when it comes to research. But I think for what what made Deltares a success is uh, this multidisciplinary uh, bringing together of people who are all very much engaged in, involved in, and passionate about the system of uh, subsurface soil water management, uh, which is actually the foundation, the humus uh, for uh, human beings to live upon. And, um, uh, but there are very different perspectives on the same system. When you are a geohydrologist, you really perceive the system in a different way than when you are uh, a, a geophysicus or if you are a chemical engineer and looking like systems as a chemical reactor. So bringing together uh, people who have been studying biotic systems, ecosystems, the living environment with the people who really have deep understanding of the, uh, the abiotic, the, the, the physical environment uh, and have the curiosity to see how this will change over time influenced by climate change. This is the cornerstone of our, well, our knowledge base. I think the second success factor is that uh, we are very lucky to have a government who funds us with a specific amount of money every year and says, uh, you are free to program the uh, essential research for the long term uh, to make sure that when we need you, uh, that you have this uh, applied research available for the questions that uh, arise in five or ten years' time. So we are uh, lucky that we do not have to earn all the money for the institute in assignments on the that needs to deliver on the short term, which is very relevant for this type of, uh, of research. Uh, and last but not least, it's essential that, uh, and this is also a bit the Dutch water management culture, but our, our motto is there to share. Everything we develop is there for, human, uh, for the, the, the benefit of mankind, which means that all our models, our data, our insights are available uh, as soon as we think it's uh, ready for use. So uh, we do not uh, sell or uh, um, keep the knowledge uh, business, like in business to sell to markets and to uh, benefit from it in a financial way. We have no aim for uh, making profit. Our only aim is enabling uh, Delta Life. And it's great to, this attitude also means that every, that there are many people in many countries that are very interested in working together. Thank you. There to share and uh, for the benefit of mankind. That's uh, uh, nice and, and big words. Uh, yeah, and, and the ecosystem, but, but the, <laughs> the, the, the planet Earth. But yeah, yeah, of course, it is also for... And, I, and this is also something which I thought I can add to your question, how we can cooperate. Uh, I'm, I, I'm just in the middle of a long distance walking path through the Netherlands uh, as we speak. Uh, so I tr I tr we try to walk for 500 kilometers from the northern power part to the southern part. And everywhere in every track, we are uh, uh, encountering a remembrances, uh, uh, a statue or wh whatever, which has to do with the Second World War. And um, I, uh, uh, my family w was liberated by the Canadians, and I also walked in this long-distance park 
on the 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 the, the all the white crosses of young people from Canada who gave their their lives for our country. Uh, so this is also really motivating me in working together, being there often, having family living in uh, in Canada. Uh, so I think we have some cultural uh, match, which also uh, we you you uh, created the opportunity for me uh, to work on the future of human mankind. So everything in perspective. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Jason, uh, um, uh, you, you pointed also at this friendship uh, before in one of your answers, uh, uh, and your, you yourself are kind of uh, um, uh, also, uh, well, have to do a lot with this uh, friendship, as you were telling before, you wouldn't be there without uh, uh, the Netherlands and, and, and the water uh, affairs over there. But uh, now uh, you've been uh, making pictures, uh, photographs of uh, uh, Dutch waterworks in, in, in the last year. And uh, I was wondering if you could tell us something about uh, what your thoughts are, are about uh, um, climate change, climate adaptation and work towards uh, climate after you've seen such a lot of uh, uh, waterworks in the Netherlands and how this has, um, uh, what, what this meant for, for you mentally, uh, thinking about this problem. Um, yeah, I guess two things, you know, it's an interesting question. I mean, it, at some level, it's somewhat reassuring, you know, because I, I spent a lot of time in Canada in the Arctic communities where, of course, climate change, it's a, you know, is, is exacerbated and, um, is amplified at these sort of high Arctic latitudes relative to, you know, all of us live at mid latitudes in Canada and the Netherlands where we don't deal with, you know, huge temperature shifts from year to year. We don't deal with melting ice on our doorstep. We don't deal with, you know, traditional sort of hunting patterns being massively disrupted by these things. We're dealing with a very incremental, slow, um, you know, climate crisis that is, of course, punctuated by these significant events like the floods in Limburg uh, very recently, like the forest fires in Canada this year. Um, so I, I guess, you know, seeing what is happening in the Netherlands gives me some hope for our future. But I, I also can't help but think that, you know, is there a moral hazard to this? Because you know, there, the, the assumption that, that we can continue to engineer our way out of climate change, as the Dutch have thus far, I, I think is um, um, inaccurate and is, you know, sort of gives a false sense of security and, and ignores, you know, more recent climate data, which, which as Anamika pointed out, is, you know, has been rendered obsolete every decade. So. I think uh, maybe 20 years ago I would have felt reassured by the example of the Dutch, but currently I, I, um, I think it might be just sort of, you know, staving off the inevitable and, and providing people with um, a false sense of security uh, around what the outcome will be. I mean, we assume as sort of first world developed societies that we can probably buy or collectively will our way beyond many of these things, and this is something that, um, you know, there is no long-term solution for except for, you know, immediate action. Thank you, Jason, and I think this asks for a reaction of uh, uh, Annemieke. Uh, can we engineer ourselves out of the future, out, out of the, uh, um, uh, uh, the climate change uh, problems, or uh, do we have to look differently at that? And perhaps you could also uh, say something on, uh, that's on the theme of green infrastructure and, and uh, um, uh, uh, building uh, with nature. Yes, I, I, I actually fully agree with Jason, and this is also part of our key message, uh, actually, that we have to speed up with the mitigation and with everything that it takes to lower our CO2 emissions as soon as possible. Every megaton that is not uh, erased to the, the, the system is, is, uh, is profitable. So we have to speed up our measures and, and join forces internationally. At the same time, climate change is already happening, has already happened, and is showing its ugly face uh, 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 in a more clear way. Uh, so uh, we also said that uh, we uh, there are uh, boundaries on what we can engineer, and that we uh, cannot, uh, that we have to live and to deal with the unexpected, and that also means that solutions. Uh, should not only uh, be based on the idea that we can 
uh, counterfeit all the impacts of effects that might occur because we are no longer sure uh, what uh, what is the actually uh, the situation we have to deal with. So the best way of moving forward is using the also the intelligence of the natural system uh, and working ahead. So we have been experimenting in the Netherlands in the Dutch coastline, which is a sandy coastline with the sand engine. This is a mega suppletion in which we, uh, which was not uh, from calculations necessary for here and now and the, uh, the, uh, the sea level rise that we already measure. But we uh, really think that buffering the, in the system uh, for climate change might be a way forward of intergenerational solidarity. So instead of putting money in the fund, you could also create uh, uh, circumstances which are uh, taking into account uh, circumstances that might uh, uh, impacts on the system that might occur in, in, in 20, 30 years. And we've been learning a lot from this sand engine on, on how it works, on, on how dunes develop in our system, what are the impacts not only on uh, the, the currencies of the sea and uh, what happens in the, in the coastal zone. Uh, from a physical perspective, but we've also learned a lot from how uh, nature reflects on that and reacts on that and takes its own role in creating new buffers for, uh, and, and we've seen this also in mangroves in uh, coastal areas. So I think we can learn a lot from this, and, uh, from the, the way that nature deals with these systems and we have to bring back uh, this resiliency sponge uh, working and to get inspired by the intelligence of nature and then as engineers uh, help uh, to uh, to create circumstances that this is uh, taking is happening again because uh, we've also uh, well shortened the the, the 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 line of the river for reasons of uh, getting rid of the water as soon as possible and now we realize that we just uh, created the circumstances which are uh, making us more vulnerable. So we uh, we have to be more humble as human and, and as engineers and su support the power of nature. That's really uh, uh, the new paradigm. And we we but nature takes time, and this is a, an important warning. Uh, we thought up till now that climate change was something for the future and that we still had time to deal with it and time to study and time to make scenarios and time to... But if you want to move towards more nature-based solutions, there is no way of delaying starting. Uh, if we delay me taking measures for 20 years, probably the only uh, solution left is uh, moving to Germany instead of uh, using the potentials uh, of the natural system. So that's our message. Uh, it might be accelerating climate change. Uh, that's what the IPCC is warning about. And uh, taking measures takes time. So better start today. Thank you so much. Uh, sounds like a wonderful conclusion, but uh, I still want to give uh, also Jason uh, uh, the possibility to, to give us some last words. Uh, uh, Anamika reacted on your on your. Uh, um, um, proposition, uh, Jason, uh, uh, engineering will not be enough. Uh, uh, she's pointing at uh, nature-based solutions. Uh, anything from your side you want to bring to, on the table in, in this respect? Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is the new paradigm, paradigm, pardon me, you know, and I think um, there's not enough room in Germany for you know, everyone from Holland, let alone people from other um, cities that will be looking to migrate. I mean, because coastal cities all over the world, you know, we're, we're talking about a mass migration in the order of hundreds of millions of people within the next 50 years, potentially. So, um, you know, the it's time to put aside our differences and our selfish interests and start to act together. And nature-based solutions are the, you know, are the future, are the only way. And um, we have to work within natural systems as, as we're all learning. And we have to you know, promote and support natural systems and allow that to, um, you know, sort of guide us because um, this is a process that uh, nature has, you know, 
millions of years of experience with, and we're, you know, we're just, you know, infants on this planet. We're, 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 we have the lifespan of an insect relative to, you know, what has gone on before us. So uh, we need to sort of look at, you know, and, and we need to look at, uh, you know, the sort of paleontological history of climate change and all of these things. It's not, it's not just recent history, but we need to look sort of deep within the archives and understand, you know, how people and animals were able to react to this before to, to help us, gu to help guide us. You know, I've started, I think, you know, for myself, I, I, I feel so sort of terrified by this. I've, I've started to, you know, harvest and um, propagate the uh, seeds of old growth trees here locally and reintroduce them into natural environments to rewater landscape and create greater water retention, biodiversity. You know, but I think everything needs to have, everyone needs to have something that they are doing to sort of help. And I think that's a, a structural societal level, but I think at an individual level, we also need to ask ourselves those questions because we can't wait for, you know, our governments to guide us. We, we need to act individually, collectively, um, intergovernmentally, you know, at a corporate level, everything needs to sort of come together and, and the responsibility is, is ours. We can't just wait for uh, someone to tell us to do something because then it will be too late. So I, I, I couldn't agree more that it's uh, the nature-based solutions that will, will lead us forward at the macro and micro scales. Thank you so much. Uh, um, I think uh, you both brought us now uh, uh, back to where we started, 1953, a big disaster in the Netherlands and uh, uh, big thoughts about how can we cope uh, with that problem. Uh, there's urgency now as it was uh, as, as it was in 1953. We have to live with the unexpected, uh, Annemieke said, uh, and uh, engineering is not enough. Uh, we have to look at the intelligence of the nature, natural uh, system. Um, and uh, there's uh, there's reason for us all to uh, act at, uh, uh, at at all the different levels, but also on an individual uh, level. Um, you've both also said that uh, there's a basis of uh, friendship and uh, uh, and learning possibilities uh, for both our countries to cooperate in the uh, in this field. Uh, uh, I remember uh, two years ago uh, Justin Trudeau and. Uh, um, uh, Minister, uh, um, Prime Minister Rutte uh, talking together about uh, water management and water problems and uh, um, uh, they had the same conclusion we have uh, a good sound base of friendship and we can work together uh, in this field and of course my last words of great thank are to Jason and Anmika who were so engagingly talking about the big challenge of climate change today thank you so much it was my pleasure yes yeah yeah I look forward to connecting again. Thank you so much. I'm going to make a very nice okay. day. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to Go Dutch, eh? A podcast presented by the Embassy of the Kingdom of the Netherlands to Canada. Please visit our website at netherlandsandyou.nl Canada for more information. And follow us on Twitter at NL in Canada.